Now let us turn to God's Word and we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 13 and into 14. Passage which I'm sure is familiar to most of us here. Now let's uh, let these words sink into our hearts again. John's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning at verse 31, and we'll read on into chapter 14. After Judas had gone out, it says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Amen, and thanks be to God for his word. Let us pray. O Lord, we thank you for these wonderful words, these precious words that are familiar to many of us, and yet so wonderful and ever ready to dawn upon us afresh. Whoever has seen me, he said, has seen the Father. For all that you have revealed 
in Jesus Christ, your Son. And we give thanks, Lord, for these tremendous words of comfort and blessing that he spoke and which have been recorded under the guidance of your Spirit for our comfort and instruction. And Lord, we come to pray for a world around us that often pays little heed to these wonderful words, these great truths that we read in your word. We come in intercession for the world around us as we uh, see a, a society, a culture that seems to stray further and further away from the ways of the Lord, the ways of the Lord that really do bring fulfillment and peace and life. We remember him saying that the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but he had come that we might have life in all its fullness. And Lord, we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Spirit in our land, and our culture, in this Western world where so many have grown weary and so many have turned away in rebellion against you. And we pray, Lord, that somehow you would bless the witness and work of your church, all of us, in seeking to point to him, the one who is the, the, the real source of all life and blessing. We pray for the family of the church, for those entrusted with the, as we say, the full-time pastoral responsibility of serving you as ministers of the gospel, or chaplains in hospitals and hospices, in industry and commerce, in prisons and in the armed forces, in sport and education. For those who seek in these various realms of life to point to the Saviour, we pray your guidance for them, as also for all missionaries offering their skills abroad, especially, and of individuals individual believers seeking to express their faith through caring words and deeds. Lord, we thank you for all who minister to the needs of others. We think of others in our society who minister in different ways, who serve the community. We think of people who serve in our hospitals, in the caring professions and emergency services, but all who, who work in medicine and as therapists and counsellors in nursing homes, looking after people with special needs, and so many others upon whose skill, compassion, and dedication we depend in times of need. And Lord, we give thanks for such service and pray you would support such people in their work and show, show them your love and grace, we pray, and, and, and that many may have their eyes opened to your reality and grace. We think of caring organizations that there are like Blytheswood and Open Doors and Tear Fund, and especially those that work amongst the, the persecuted church in so many parts of the world. But we remember as part of this great family that there are so many of our brothers and sisters right now up against it under pressure because of the name of Christ in various countries of the world, and we pray for an end to that persecution of your people and for, for liberty and freedom. And Lord, we think of this troubled world with conflict and warfare in many places. 
And Lord, so, 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 such a tragedy. So many lives of men and women and children and babies being lost. And we pray for an end to these things, Lord, and for all those who, in the name of Christ, seek to bear a witness. Lord, we also pray for those weighed down by injustices in our wealthy world and those who carry a burden of helplessness. We pray for the poor and also for the the sick and homeless, the oppressed, persecuted, wrongfully imprisoned, especially those indeed for the cause and name of Christ. But we pray for those who feel powerless to do anything about their situation. You are the Lord who can transform all things, the one to whom nothing is impossible, however hopeless they may seem. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. And we remember those of our own circles who are ill or lonely or confused and troubled, depressed and those bereaved, as we hold up such that we know to you for your help and strength, O Lord. And help us, our Heavenly Father, to serve you day by day, to be glad to declare your name and identify ourselves with your cause, with your name, with your kingdom, to put you first in our lives, even when it means denying self, especially when it means denying self. Teach us what it is to die to self and live for Christ that your love may be shown. We remember the Apostle when he spoke about being crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. May these words, O Lord, even in part, in some measure, be true in our hearts and our lives. O Lord, hear us as we remember all these different kinds of need in this needy world, and we do so in confidence in your power to meet every need. And Lord, we lay these prayers before you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you know, seven times Jesus used that expression, words that might seem simple enough, these words, I am. And uh, Previously here, I've preached on three of the seven. I am the good shepherd, I am the vine, I am the light of the world. Although I can hardly uh, say that it's a series of sermons since these were way back in 2018. But this evening I want to come to another of these I am sayings and uh, a very significant and important one as they all are. Indeed, John 14 and 6, where he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Last year, in the annual report of the Universities and Colleges Christian Fellowship, there was reference to a Russian author, Konstantin Kissin, who now lives in the United Kingdom and has referred to what he calls the collapse in popularity of the new atheism championed by Richard Dawkins and others especially among younger adults. And let me quote these words. The reason the new atheism has lost its mojo, I think that's a technical theological term, uh, is that it has no answers to the lack of meaning and purpose 
that our post-Christian societies are suffering from. And he went on, what will fill that void? Religious people have their answers, do the rest of us. Well, I don't know if we would like to accept the description of religious people, but regardless of that, much more important is to look at the answer as that hymn said it, given all along, as, as the Lord said, I've been with you all this time. The answer that has been given all along as it focuses on the words, the work, and the person of this Lord Jesus Christ himself. And here's this most significant statement right in the heart of John's Gospel. I am the way and the truth and the life. One of these seven statements, beginning with the simple phrase, I am. Simple phrase, perhaps simple words, but words with such a a significance and meaning behind them, of course, as we remember, if we rewind back through through the pages of the Old Testament, right back to the book of Exodus and the story there in chapter 3, from which the logo of the Presbyterian churches is taken. There's the one of the, the ones that's on the Free Church website, and a passage which I believe Paul will be preaching on soon, because I believe there's a series on Exodus at the present time. So maybe some of this is a bit of a trailer for that. But uh, it refers to Moses. Remember Moses looking after the sheep, as he had done on so many of these hot days? But that day... Something different happened. Something that altered his life. And because it altered his life, it altered the life of the whole people of Israel. And because it altered the life of the people of Israel, it altered the the, the life of, of all of us, really, and has its part in the Old Testament's preparation for Christ. The bush that was on fire. Nothing unusual in that, but of course it didn't burn up. That would, I suppose, in, in a hot climate, there would often be bushes that would be on fire. And yet with this bush, it kept on burning. And yet it was not burnt up. Or many of us could say it in Latin, couldn't we? Nec tamen consumibatur, the words round the outside of the logo there. And as he wondered what was going on, there was that voice that's calling his name and bidding him take off his shoes because... What does it say? The place you are standing is holy ground. Holy ground? It's not. I mean, it's out in, in, in the desert there. It's not in some temple or synagogue. Not that there was a temple yet, but uh, holy ground out there in the desert. And then the crazy thing that the, that the voice was saying, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am sending you to bring my people out of Egypt. And I wonder if Moses might have felt, I think I've been out in the sun too long. This is crazy. This is ridiculous. How can that possibly be? And I don't know if you've heard that saying, what is it that human beings make most of? And the answer is excuses. And that's relevant to that passage, of course. They'll never believe me. I'm not good, a good enough speaker. He said, who am I? And he also said, who are you? And suppose I go to the Israelites, this is what you'll be hearing soon, and, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? And there's that strange sounding answer. I am who I am. This 
is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. What kind of an answer is that? Certainly not one that Moses could have thought up. This was God calling him. For my sake and the gospels, go. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And that hymn that I'm alluding to, it actually includes that phrase, O life, light, love, the great I am, triune who changest never, the throne of God and of the Lamb is thine and thine forever. He is simply the God who exists. The God who is there. That was actually the title of one of Francis Schaeffer's important books, The God Who Is There. And you see what it means. It refers not to some God that Moses has thought up, not some figment of anybody's imagination. And sometimes people say, you know, the, the way I conceive of God is such and such. Or perhaps more general, more usually, I don't think that God would be that way. And in a, in a way, the answer to a statement like that is, what has that got to do with anything? It's not a question of what we conceive of God, what we think that God would be like. It's not a matter of us making up a picture of God to satisfy our own feelings or desires or imaginings. This is about the God who is there and who makes himself known. He said, I am who I am. That was the message that came to Moses at that bush, which burned neck, tamen, consumibatu, but wasn't consumed. And when you think about it, it's, it's a text which is uh, capable of application in various ways. It's been true of the book, hasn't it? The book that has literally been burned, often literally burned, and, and attacked and persecuted in all manner of ways, and yet never burned up. But that's not our subject today. It, it could be said to be the story of the church as well, because, and that's why the, the, the emblem has been taken for our Presbyterian churches anyway. Uh, maligned, attacked, persecuted, and mocked in all sorts of ways, yet never burned up. As the saying is, there's, the church has had many would-be undertakers, but none has collected his fee yet. And that's not what I want to speak of either, because it's all about Jesus. Jesus himself, the one who seven times over took these very words, I am, as the staggering introduction to his claims as incarnate God. Not a man with a few clever ideas, not the originator of a new religion, and not just the best man who's ever lived, not any of these things, but Jesus, the great I am, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, and whose life was apparently hunted down and snuffed out at Calvary, but of course not defeated. Nec tamen consumibatur, never burned up. That's the Lord that we're speaking of, the Lord of Bethlehem, the Lord of Calvary, the Lord of Easter. And so after that rather long introduction, here's the text, John 14 and 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. It's a a familiar text, I'm sure, to all of us. And what I want to say simply about it is these these two things, that that is 
the centre of our faith, and it is the answer to our need. These are the two headings, if you like, the two themes that I want to take up from that text. It is the centre of our faith, and it is the answer to our need. First, the centre of our faith, and it's true, isn't it? The centre of our faith isn't any building, whether it be a a grand cathedral or or a, a church like this. The centre of our faith isn't a way of life, wonderful as the Christian way of life is. The centre of our faith is not a ritual, wonderful as true from the heart worship is, but the centre of our faith is Jesus himself, the Lord who says, I am the way and the truth and the life. It's a text that points to Christ as the centre of our faith. And that, after all, is what is characteristic of Christianity. Let me uh, give you something that the the great and famous Martin Lloyd-Jones said on this theme. He, he, He said once, there are many movements in this modern world that are exhorting people to believe in God and to surrender themselves to God. But I think that you will find that in many of them, the name of Jesus is not mentioned. They advocate and teach a belief in God. They preach a message that urges people to submit themselves to God. But Jesus Christ is not central. Jesus Christ is not essential. Now, he said, that, of course, is an utter travesty of the New Testament gospel. In the New Testament, Christ is there in the very center and forefront of the picture. The essence of the Christian faith is none other than the person of our Lord Jesus. Or as John Newton put it in a little ditty, as it were, that he devised, what think ye of Christ? That's the test. To try both your state and your scheme, you cannot be right in the rest unless you think rightly of him. Or again, there's another hymn writer, Henry Francis Light, who's most famous for Abide With Me, who wrote these rather charming words, I think, Oh, how blessed the congregation, who the gospel know and prize. Joyful tidings of salvation brought by Jesus from the skies. He is near them, he is near them, knows their wants and hears their cries. Isn't that good? Oh, how blessed the congregation, who the, the, the gospel know and prize. Because, sad to say, we know that there are, there are congregations that call themselves churches that do not really know and prize the gospel. Because many today are more concerned to reflect the values of modern society than to stand on God's abiding truth. John 14 is, of course, a a tremendous chapter, one which at one and the same time challenges superficial and sentimental views of Christianity, with still in verse 6 that incisive word, no one comes to the Father except through me. It is that at one and the same time as as something that brings us to the feet of the Saviour, who, as, as we remember when he spoke these words, He's on the eve of his sacrifice at Calvary. And who would come back 
bursting through the gates of death as the great conqueror and saviour. I am. I, he says, the, the man from Nazareth. I take these words on, on my lips. I am. What? The way and the truth and the life. Not, as we regularly remember, not saying I am a way or a pointer to the way. Not that. Not saying I can teach you the truth or point you to it. Not that either. And not saying I can teach you about life and how to live it. Not that, but always I am the way and the truth and the life. And you see who he was speaking to. He was speaking to all the disciples in a way in that famous upper room. And through them and through John's recording of it under the guidance of the Spirit, he's actually speaking to all of us. But what I mean is, which of the disciples was it that he was answering? Well, it's Thomas. Good old doubting Thomas, as we sometimes call him. Thomas, who has very little recorded from him in the Gospels. You maybe know this, but the only three times when his voice is heard in all the Gospel accounts. First in chapter 11, when he spoke words of great bravery, really, when uh, Jesus was talking and going up to Jerusalem, and Thomas was uh, just wasn't sure that was the right thing at all. Uh, there's danger there. But he said, let's go with him, even if we have to die with him. And then in chapter 20, of course, it's the most famous of all, when he said, uh, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and the wound in his side, I will never believe, John 20 and 25. Although it's also there that he goes on to then express the, the most wonderful and the most fulsome confession of faith perhaps to be found anywhere in Scripture. My Lord and my God. That's two. And then this is the other third one. Here in John 14, it's Thomas who says in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way. Thomas doesn't understand. If the expression had been invented, he would have said, I haven't got a scooby. What's going on here? This many rooms in my father's house. This I go to prepare a place for you. This I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And the thing about Thomas is that he wasn't prepared to just play dumb. Maybe maybe all the others knew what Jesus was talking about, but he didn't, and he wasn't prepared to play dumb. I don't know if you recognize that situation where you're in some company and maybe everybody else is nodding their heads as if they fully understand and follow what's being said, but you haven't got a clue. Well, there's a saying about how it's much better to keep quiet and be thought stupid than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. <laughs> well, that wasn't for Thomas. He wasn't prepared to just sit still and sit quiet. All that stuff about the many mansions and, 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 and knowing where Jesus was going. And there he is in verse 5. Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? And the wonderful thing is that it's in response to that 
that frank expression of uncertainty that we get this tremendous statement of Jesus, teaching us, I suppose, incidentally, not to be frightened of questioning or even our doubts, because if we would bring them to Jesus, then maybe too we will hear his answer and be enabled to take to heart his answers to us. So yes, this text teaches us, first of all, about the the centre of our faith, Jesus Christ himself. And then the second thing that I've highlighted is that it teaches us about Christ as the answer to our need. And again, if we just think it out in terms of the three things that Jesus said, naturally, we human beings are lost, and Jesus Christ is the way. Naturally, we human beings are in error, and Jesus Christ is the truth. And naturally, we human beings are dead, and Jesus Christ is the life. Now, as to the first, I don't think that needs much arguing today. The statement that naturally human beings are lost. Isn't it one of the great ironies of our era that in which the living is so much easier for most people in our society than it has been for previous generations? This period when so many people have so much compared with the struggles for survival, really, of people in generations past, that it should be a time characterized by such a lack of contentment and a lack of purpose and a, well, lostness. Last century saw the, the, one of the greatest tragic instances of it in Germany, didn't it? Where Nazism arose not in some backward nation of ignorant savages, but in the midst of one of the most cultured and sophisticated societies with a tremendous pedigree in philosophy and music and education and culture. And for us now, what about, what about all these suicides that are such a concern today, aren't they? Major cause, especially amongst young men of death, in a day when people ought to be much more contented than ever. An hour or two of uh, viewing of our public entertainment, perhaps, would reveal that lostness better than anything. It was nearly, <coughs> excuse me, it was nearly 30 years ago, and it, it, I, I think things have got a lot worse in these last years, that a columnist in the Punch magazine, which is not exactly known for its Puritanism, let's say, a columnist there wrote, in recent years, Hollywood's excesses have rivaled those of ancient Rome when the last emperors were forced to plumb the depths of sensation, cruelty, and sadistic spectacle to keep the audiences at the Colosseum satisfied and, to a large extent, quiescent. That's a very interesting statement about the kind of culture, and especially the entertainment culture of today. Do you know there's a little village in Aberdeenshire called Lost? I don't know if anybody's been there. It's a tiny, tiny hamlet, really, rather than a, than a village. And it's uh, subject to all kinds of jokes and fun and people stealing the lamppost and all that sort of thing. Just a handful of people live there. But maybe in another way, it's where 
human beings by nature live in the town of lost. But here's, here's the gospel. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. It's in him that we find the answer to our natural lostness, our aimless wandering through life on a course that was leading nowhere. He is the way to life, the way to peace, the way to salvation, the way to heaven. Of course he is the way to life because he enriches everything that he touches. He is the way to peace. And and there it is in this very chapter, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's the gift of his grace, there to be received in faith. And it's the way to salvation, that salvation which relates to our past, of course, in forgiveness, that relates to our present in in living our lives in this world, and that relates to our future and the wonderful promises about the glory to come. And that is the way to heaven, these many mansions mentioned in verse 2. So naturally we are lost. Jesus says, I am the way. I I just happened to see recently uh, an interesting illustration of it in a secular context from the literary heights of the Reader's Digest, where there was a writer quoting some words of a professor of psychology, actually, about a park ranger who was lost in the woods and who was so sure that he knew where he was really that he decided that his compass was wrong. So it says he destroyed it, smashed it on a rock, because he was so frustrated. He thought, I know this way is north, but the compass was telling him it was the other direction. It is comforting to hear that sometimes even experienced outdoors people can get disorientated. It's an interesting illustration, isn't it? And in, in even more, much more serious ways than that, the world lives in the village of lost. And Jesus says to us, in all simplicity really, and yet it's so so profound and far-reaching, I am the way. We may be lost, but he is the way. And then secondly, naturally, we are in error, and he is the truth. Human beings in error, well, you remember he said that to the Sadducees one time, Mark 12, 27, it is, you are in error. That was blunt, straightforward, to the point. You are in error. And the words of Jesus in the text imply that man left to himself is in error. And that's not perhaps very complimentary. doesn't mean, of course, that man is in error about absolutely everything. But it does mean that sin uh, sin has, has affected and infected human life so much that... Uh, that by nature we are in error about the things that matter most. Listen to this again. from a, uh, It's a letter from a former president of Princeton Theological Seminary writing just after the date, now known forever, I suppose, as 9-11. He wrote about how we live in a culture that has downplayed the importance of Christian teaching. And I quote, Our society, this is in the United States, of course, but 
He said, our society has for the most part dismissed differences of religious conviction as irrelevant. Popular wisdom has contended that it does not matter what you believe so long as you are sincere. Superficial comments like that are no longer plausible. Mind you, people still make them, don't they? But it's true, not plausible any longer, because this is how he went on. For those who attacked the World Trade Center and the Pentagon and were responsible for the crash in the Pennsylvania field were not the godless atheists that we feared for so long in the Cold War. They were believers, convinced that they were doing the will of God. Now we know that what someone believes about God can be a matter of life and death. Interesting words, and that's from quite a long time ago. Interesting words in relation to what we have witnessed during this past week, actually, in our own mother of parliaments, so to say. And, and people are becoming aware of the huge danger to our whole social fabric from people who have a false God and a very different view of what God requires of human beings. It is indeed a matter of life and death. And our response to this Jesus Christ who says, I am the truth, well, it affects everything about life. It affects our destiny as well when, for us, this life is over and the books are open. But it also affects life in this world. He said plainly, no one comes to the Father except by me. The truth you know that phrase, the truth isn't out there. And actually, the truth isn't in here either. The truth is in here, in the word that God has given us. And we're reminded that truth is not an abstract set of propositions, or a philosophy, or even a theology. It's a person, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And again, it's not that he says, I can teach you the truth, or I can point you to it, but he says, I am. There it is, that, that phrase that, as we emphasized at the outset, the very divine name, I am the truth. Of course, there is an importance in truth as a system of belief and doctrine. Of course, that's true. And how marvelous it is if, as time goes on, you study the scriptures and reflect more on the gospel and how it all fits together. But fundamentally, the Christian faith is about one who is the truth. That uh, phrase, the God who is there, that I said was the title of one of Francis Schaeffer's books. Well, he wrote, it is hard to understand how an orthodox, evangelical, Bible-believing Christian can fail to be excited. The answer is, uh, the answers in the realm of the intellect should make us overwhelmingly excited. But much more than this, we are returned to a personal relationship with the God who is there. If we are unexcited Christians, then we should go back and see what is wrong. We are surrounded by a generation that can find no one home in the universe. If anything marks our generation, it is this. In contrast to this, as a Christian, I know the personal God who is there. These were his words. 
And is that your position today? Trusting him as the one who is the way and who is the truth. And then thirdly, who is the life? That's the other thing this text teaches us, that naturally human beings are dead, but he is the life. Dead is not a very complimentary description either, but it's what the Apostle Paul expressed. You know the words again, I'm sure, in Ephesians 2. You were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed in the ways of this world. That's the the natural position of human beings. Dead in sins, alienated from heaven, cut off from the God who is there. And Jesus Christ is the life. That's how Paul went on. Ephesians 2 and 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, not by works, so that no one can boast. When Jesus said to Mary of Bethany, similar thing to the text, I am the resurrection and the life. He asked her, remember, do you believe this? The same challenge comes to us. Do you believe this, that Jesus Christ is the life, the answer to that deadness that is our human situation? You know, it's almost a year now since the death of Tim Keller, who is very well known, and uh, who said, I believe that Christian beliefs are true. And then he referred to something that he said, C.S. Lewis said, don't believe in Christianity because it is relevant, though it is. Don't believe in Christianity because a lot of smart people believe it, though many do. Do not believe it because it fulfills your need, though it eventually will. Do not believe it because it is incredibly relevant to our cultural moment, though it is. Believe in Christianity because it's true. That was his saying. And more fundamentally, we might say, believe in Jesus Christ because he is the way and the truth and the life. What was that formula of blessing for a congregation? According to Francis Henry Light, oh, how blessed the congregation who the gospel know and prize. Do we? Well, as a congregation, And it applies to us, the question comes as individuals as well. How blessed who the gospel know and prize. This is the heart of everything, congregationally and personally. There was a a simple uh, chorus that many of you maybe uh, learned before. It was in uh, youth praise, I think, and then it was in junior praise. Still is in junior praise. From this very text of scripture, I am the way the truth and the life, that's what Jesus said. Repeated, I am the way, the truth and the life, that's what Jesus said. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way, the truth and the life. That's what Jesus said. Well, 
Let's renew our faith in this wonderful Saviour. Or even perhaps come to him, this Jesus Christ, who is the centre of our faith and who is indeed the answer to our need. May God bless his word to our hearts. Let's pray. Father, this is a particularly precious passage to us. We give thanks for it, for its ability to minister to us in many, many different situations in life, for these words of comfort and of peace, and for the great word of our Saviour, the way, the truth, and the life. We remember indeed, without the way, there is no going, without the truth, there is no knowing, and without the life, there is no living. For for all the wonders of your grace in our lostness, that Jesus Christ is the way. In our being in error, Jesus Christ is the truth. And in our being dead in trespasses and sins, but Jesus Christ is the life. Lord, we thank you for these precious Precious words of our Saviour, may they come to be ever more precious to our hearts and lives now and always. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.